Hi, everyone. This is Andy Johnson, host of This Thing Called Life, and I hope you are doing well. October is National Liver Awareness Month, and this is a great time to recognize and learn about the importance of liver health and learn about the signs of liver disease. In connection to National Liver Month, this is also a perfect time to learn more about liver donation and what causes someone to go into liver failure and need a liver transplant. You can also visit globalliver.org and donatelife.net for more information. In honor of National Liver Awareness Month, we are airing one of our earlier episodes that features John Mock. John is a dad, grandfather, brother, and friend to so many. And John is also a liver recipient. His story is miraculous. It's incredible. John, who had been the picture of health for so long, quickly declined and became very ill. And he was staring death in the face because of a liver illness that could kill him if he didn't receive a life-saving liver transplant. So please listen and learn more about his story. And if you enjoy this thing called life, leave us a review wherever you listen to and find your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Hello. And welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to this thing called life. I'm your host, Andy Johnson. We have a really exciting show for you today. Uh, I also want to remind everyone that October is National Liver Awareness Month. Today, we're going to talk with a gentleman who has whose life has taken some twists and turns over the last few years, and he's going to share his story with us. I'd like to introduce Mr. John Mock. Welcome, John. Good morning, Andy. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I I live in Cincinnati. I'm 58, family guy, father of four. I have five grandkids, and I'm a sales manager for a large wheelchair manufacturer. So I, I travel, or at least prior to Valentine's Day of this year, I traveled almost every week uh, working out of my home, but going in the field and working with our customers, the VA, healthcare system, children's hospitals, spine clinics, things like that. And uh, up until a little over two years ago, everything was churning along just perfectly. I was the picture of health. I'd had my annual physical every year. In November of 2017, I had a full physical. I mean, mm-hmm. all the blood work done, you know, bend over and cough and all that. Kind of stuff. <laughs> and everything came back fine, right? Great. Yeah. About five weeks later, on December the 29th of that same year, 2017, I woke up and I felt horrible and I looked like I was six months pregnant. I mean, my wow. my abdomen looked like there was a watermelon inside. Oh my goodness. And no, nothing leading up to that, that that you can think of? A couple of weeks earlier, I had a little bloating in the evening and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, we had steak and baked potatoes. We were, you know, in another city with another couple and we were having fun and yeah. you know, too much bread and all of that kind of stuff. It was a nice steakhouse. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh boy, I ate too much. And I woke up the next morning and I felt and looked fine. Mm-hmm. So obviously uh, it was my my middle girl's birthday that December 29th. And I, you know, we got to go to the, the doctor's office. Something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went and they immediately sent me across the street to the emergency room. It's wow. interesting. I had a piece of paper that basically was a, you know, a full access pass to the hospital. And I counted 27 red ink stamps on the piece of paper that said stat, 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 stat. Wow. I walked into the emergency room. I didn't have to sign any paperwork. They brought me right back. 
So it was serious. And immediately started to to do tests and try to figure out what was was wrong. I, it was pretty obvious that that the fluid was a result of my liver going into failure. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know why, and we didn't know why for you know fifty six years everything looked perfect, and all of a sudden now I I start to to show symptoms. Wow. From January until March of twenty. 18. Um, I was seeing a liver specialist in Cincinnati and my numbers were fine, but we just couldn't figure out what was going on. And I started taking mental acuity tests to see if it really was, you know, a buildup of an ammonia in my system uh, Mm -hmm. due to liver failure. Passed those tests with flying colors. Mm. And then on St. Patrick's Day of that year, I was in Kansas City with uh, my daughter and son-in-law's family. Uh, It was a celebration of his 30th birthday. Mm -hmm. And I went into the bathroom um, at the house, tried to put on my St. Patty's Day bow tie. And for 45 minutes, I couldn't figure out how to tie a bow tie. And I'd been wearing a tie for decades. Oh, Um, wow. That had to be scary. I I was, well... I don't know if it was scary. I was just like frustrated. What is going on? Why mm-hmm. can't I get this thing right? Mm-hmm. As it turns out, I was going into liver failure, did not know it. Mm-hmm. And the ammonia buildup in my system was causing me to, to basically lose my ability to focus and concentrate, think clearly, right. et cetera. Um, Which is something home. that's very common, I understand, with patients. It is. And hepatic encephalopathy is what they call it. Okay. And I was given, uh, I I went home that Monday and brushed it off as, okay, I guess I was just, you know, frustrated and I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then when I got home that Monday, I I went to bed at nine o'clock the normal time and woke up that next Tuesday morning. And I had slept for almost 12 hours, which is very, very unlike me. I, I mm-hmm. don't think I've ever slept 12 hours in my life. Mm-hmm. Went down to my desk. It was about 8.30, 9 o'clock in the morning. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'll get started at my laptop. And mm-hmm. I was still tired. And I didn't have my first phone call until about 10.30 that morning. So I said, oh, I'll just set the alarm on my phone. I'll go lay in my recliner and I'll grab another 45 minutes. I must have fallen asleep instantly. And um, at four o'clock, I was woken up that afternoon and I had slept from nine o'clock to four o'clock straight through after just sleeping 12 hours. Wow. And that's when, and I'd slept through the alarm clock. I had slept through my phone ringing. I hadn't worked at my computer all day long. Right. And um, it's not, it was not untypical. It wasn't, it was typical for me to mm-hmm. have my office door closed. Right. And nobody thought, you know, the wiser. So later that evening, you know, all I wanted to do was sleep. And um, my kids were called over and um, and basically said, listen, if, if you don't come with us to the emergency room, we're going to call 911. And so you, you were you were still resistant at this point. Still- I said, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm just tired. I'm right. just Let's go in the morning. I don't want to go if mm-hmm. I'm still feeling bad in the morning. Well, that's when they got out that piece of paper that my liver specialist, you know, used to give me once a week, the acuity test, which mm-hmm. is basically an eight and a half by 11 piece of copy paper. And it's got circles all over the piece of paper numbered, you know, one to 30. And you're supposed to put your pencil in circle number one and then draw a straight line to circle number two and then try to find circle number three and then go up Mm. to the right-hand corner for circle number four. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people get that finished in less than a minute and a half. Mm -hmm. It never took me more than 45 seconds. Right. Well, after seven minutes, I had only gotten to number 11. And that's when, that's when they said we're going. So I was rushed to the ER. And at that point, um, March the 20th, maybe, I um, it, I was told I was going, I, I was in complete liver failure. 
at that point. Wow. And um, that's when my liver specialist uh, referred me to University of Cincinnati's transplant program and said, I think it's a good idea for you now to at least get started in the program. And it took about a month and a half and a, a few miracles for me to get in front of UC Health's transplant team just to go through the approval process. You know, do I meet the criteria um, and am I a good candidate for the team? So when, a, when, you, when you say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but when you say a few miracles, what, what are you speaking about? So in March, when my hepatologist said, I think it's important that we send you to UC Health. Mm -hmm. The response was, well, we cannot fit John in until August. And that was for the first meeting. Oh, my goodness. Then there were going to be a bunch of tests after that if I was accepted into the program. And at that point, I said, well, okay, August, sure. But I started to decline quite rapidly. And my brother-in-law, who had just recently retired as a family physician, reached out to an old medical school buddy of his at UC. Mm -hmm. That individual called the chief of the transplant program, Dr. Shaw. And Dr. Shaw squeezed me into that Monday program where he explained what was going on and what we could, you know, anticipate. So I showed up, you know, with my bow tie and I had my wife on one side. I had two daughter-in-laws behind me and they had their laptops and, and you know, very, very attentive. At that point, uh, Dr. Shaw asked us what our condition was, what our diagnosis was, and what our MELD score was. Mm -hmm. um, Can and you explain MELD, to our listeners what a MELD score is? MELD, four letters, M stands for model, uh, E-L-D for E-N stage, L, liver, D, disease, model for end stage liver disease, MELD. And the Thank score you. is kind of wacky because it goes from six to zero, I mean, six to 40. Mm -hmm. And you would wonder why it just doesn't go zero to 10, right? But for some reason, it starts at six and goes up to 40. And the closer you get to 40, 40 is death, you're dead. Mm. 30 is you might only have weeks to live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 20 to 25 months to live, typically. And you're not even accepted into the program unless your MELD score is over 14. Right. I remember Dr. Shaw asking me, I was the first one, you know, Johnny College, I guess, front and center. And um, I stood up and I introduced myself and I said, I've been diagnosed with a genetic disorder called alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency and my MELD score is 24. And he laughed and he looked at me and he said, really, 24? You don't look like you're at 24. And I said, well, I just got my results on Friday. Mm -hmm. And it was 24. And I was getting tested weekly at that point. Mm -hmm. And on Tuesday, after that Monday meeting, and there were others in the room who I'd never seen again. I know one young lady died while mm -hmm. she was waiting for her transplant. And four of the others that were at the table, five of the others that were at that, that meeting that Monday, their situation was uh, due to uh, alcoholism, alcoholism, mm -hmm. and they never returned. Mm. Uh, the program to the best of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky for miracle number one, that I was accelerated into that first meeting, which the following Tuesday, the committee that meets uh, gave two thumbs up to me that uh, one, I was progressing uh, through in my liver failure quite rapidly. Mm -hmm. uh, Regressing, maybe degenerating, mm -hmm. decompensating, whatever you, you'd like to call it, and that they would begin the next steps of getting me towards 
um, the ultimate goal, which is being put on the, the transplant waiting mm -hmm. list. So you have to meet a lot of criteria before you can even get on the list. And the list is managed by an organization called UNOS, mm -hmm. United Network for Organ Sharing, which I don't know if they're, I don't think they're a governing body um, for organ procurement organizations, OPOs, like Life Center. Correct, um, they are but not. But it is a dotted line and yes. they are the organization responsible for managing the list and all of the details about selection and criteria and absolutely um, yeah so the second set of miracles was once i was accepted into the program awaiting acceptance to the unos transplant list i had to go through a series a battery of tests tests like bone density tests infectious disease tests and all all the blood work um, everything that you can think of, I I went through mm -hmm. just to make sure that I was healthy enough to survive surgery and receive an organ and then recover from a transplant. Right. Well, here we go. The first available test was August and I'm in May, <sighs> May the 17th. I was wow. accepted and they're telling me, OK, well, we can squeeze you in in August. And I'm saying it just doesn't make sense with all of the, you know, why can't I go somewhere else for tests? Right. All the questions that you have. Well, and now, if you're so sick, you know, that, that to me is the, the strangeness about this whole process. Yeah. Like you have to be so sick that transplant is your only option, but yet you got, you have to be healthy enough to withstand and the my surgery. Score, Andy at 24, it had gone as high as 26. Mm -hmm. My MELD score would fluctuate between 21 and 26, but there were so many. There was 160 other people on the liver waiting list that were much sicker than I was. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to save the most at-risk patients right. first, I guess. Right. But there's also other factors. Am I a match to right. someone else? So I said, put me on the, the, the waiting list. The first, you know, if there is a cancellation for any one of these tests, you call me, I will drop everything and I will be here in less than 30 minutes. Yeah. Two days later, I got a phone call um, from radiology mm -hmm. at UC Health. And they said, uh, you're not gonna believe this, but we just had a cancellation. Can you be here tomorrow? But, you know, and it's going to be an all day thing from like seven in the morning until four or five in the afternoon. I said, for one test. And they said no for all of them. Wow. So I, I was able two days after I was accepted into the program to get all of those tests in one day. Yeah. Imagine that. I often wonder who the individual was that canceled. Right. Why did that why did that slot open up for all of those separate tests? Right. I thought the worst. And of course, I'll never yeah. know. But right. shortly after that, um, as I started to go deeper into my liver failure and I was on all kinds of medication trying to remove the ammonia from my body, we had to cancel our family vacation. Mm. Because if, if something would happen... I needed to be within two to three hours mm -hmm. of, you know, that's, that's how critical I was physically. Mm -hmm. So we decided to go down to my daughter-in-law's family compound, we call it, the river house, mm -hmm. for a staycation. And I felt pretty good. I was excited. You know, you see the grandkids with their little life jackets on and little bonfires and things like that. And I'm, I was feeling better than I had. Mm -hmm. In the car on the way home on Thursday, June the 21st, I received an email from UC Health. They had the courtesy to forward an email from UNOS that said that because of all the tests and the application process, I had been accepted into the national transplant list for a liver donation. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very excited about that. We're driving home that Thursday. 
and I, I was always so tired. So I did not even eat lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, I went right into my office, into my recliner, and I fell asleep. Mm-hmm. At which point I was woken up by my daughter, my third girl, Becca, and she uh, was calling me on the phone. She had left the River House to go to Louisville, Kentucky, and Evansville to see her boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And because I did not answer my phone. She said, listen, I just got a call from someone at UC and they said they tried to call you. When I didn't answer, they called my wife. When my wife didn't answer, they called number three on the list and that was Becca. Oh, wow. And so I said, okay. So I listened to my voicemail and uh, sure enough, uh, the voice at the other end of the phone uh, said that they were a nurse from UC Health and I should call immediately. So I did. And here's what I heard. Miracle number three or four. Hi, Mr. Mock. This is UC. My name is Anna Weber and I'm a transplant nurse coordinator. And we don't know how this happened, but we think we have a liver for you. And I said, okay, this is a joke because I was just added to the list four and a half hours ago. And I had been participating in the UC Health Liver Transplant Support Group for months. And I've seen people that have been on the list for years. Mm -hmm. And here it is four and a half hours later, and I'm getting a call. And the caller ID said, Traverse City, Michigan. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, okay, it's a prank, some cruel joke. Why didn't it have a Cincinnati area code, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She had just relocated from Traverse City, was calling me from her cell phone. It was her first day on the job. My goodness. I was her first phone call. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And then it was like, okay, I had my, you know, I was like a pregnant woman, right? I had my bag packed already. <laughs> we had the, the strategy about how we were going to, you know, what we were going to do when the phone rang and all of that kind of stuff. And she said, I got to ask you a f- few questions. And when was the last time you ate? And I said, well, I had uh, yogurt and granola for breakfast, but I skipped lunch. So that was good. And she mm-hmm. says, have you been running a temperature? You know, have you been sick? I said, no. All right, question number three, when can you be here? And I said, in 20 minutes. And she laughed and she said, well, I don't know if you need to be here in 20 minutes. How about you show up at seven o'clock? <laughs> So I showed up with my bag. I had time to take a shower and shave. I was very excited, but I was trying to manage my expectation because Dr. Shaw had said sometimes when you get the call, mm-hmm. you get down there and you get prepped. And at the last minute, they find out that mm-hmm. it's not a good match. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But of all the people on that waiting list at UC, I was a perfect match. Mm. So at seven o'clock, Uh, We arrived and they started the whole process of, you know, questions, paperwork, getting signed, putting the bands on, starting an IV, you know, getting you into the gown, all of that kind of stuff. Right. And uh, I had someone from the team come in and say, it looks like uh, we have a good match and uh, we're going to go ahead and get you prepped uh, for surgery. At that point, reality started to set in Mm -hmm. because... Uh, UC was not doing live liver donation or partial liver donation at that time, but they are now. Two years later, they have started. Um, But back then, um, it meant that someone had lost their life. Right. Um, And uh, that's, you know, when I say reality, uh, that's when you start questioning, why me? You know, what have I done to deserve to get a second chance? Why did someone have to die so that I could live? All of those things that are going through your mind. As I'm getting wheeled into surgery, my anesthesiologist's name was Dr. Hope. And she had a beautiful smile and she was very calming. And I looked at her name uh, badge and I thought, wow, this is what a great name to, to be the last one to see when you're going into surgery is Dr. Hope. (laughs) and um, she had with her her two anesthesiology residents or fellows 
the whatever you would call um, the ones that are uh, you know working to become an anesthesiologist. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were both out of town, and we were talking about the Pittsburgh Steelers and Skyline Chili, which is a local haunt, and ribbing each other back and forth. And Dr. Hope comes around the corner with her gloved hands up in the air and her mask on her face and her gown, and she looks at me and she says, Mr. Mock, I will win, <laughs> which made me be quiet, stop talking to my peeps. And she she nodded her head, and they opened up the line, and I didn't even have a chance to count to three. I was out. Prior to that, um, I had... Uh, she won. <laughs> uh, she won. And right before she won, my, um, my daughter, Becca, who's the mm -hmm. one who called me, she turned around and drove back up the highway. Instead of going to see her boyfriend, she came. She was at the hospital. Mm -hmm. Did not want to leave. But, of course, she can't go into surgery with me. She was still living at home at the time. And um, I said, Becca, it's time to go. But I need you to do something. And that's when the, uh, what I call the next miracle happened. I said, it's very important for me to be able to reach out to the family of this donor. Mm -hmm. Number one, just to express my sincere gratitude. Mm -hmm. At the, the height of their grief, they made a decision that's going to save my life. Right. Um, but then also, you know, to express my condolences, how sorry I am that they've lost a loved one. Right. So being the tech savvy 24 year old that she she was at the time, she still is tech savvy. <laughs> she was able to use her smartphone, find Life Center on the web, dig deep through the website mm -hmm. and find out what the process was to get in touch with a donor family. How did that whole process work? Wow. So while I was under surgery, going into surgery, she had reached out to Life Center and there is one of your colleagues, she's a nurse, Melissa Holiday, I call her mm -hmm. Missy. Missy mm -hmm. Holiday is the uh, is she the organ transplant coordinator? Is that her official title? She's actually uh, the director of organ operations. Director of organ operations. I hope yes. she got a, a pay raise with that promotion. <laughs> anyway, but she does. Every time I've seen, <laughs> yeah, every time I've seen Missy at Life Center, she's always in her scrubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got a pager and a cell phone. And that's because of her very important role of working with the families that are going to donate organs or tissue. Mm -hmm. and, and she reaches out to them and she's on site whenever possible, I think. Mm -hmm. um, well, she got the request from Rebecca and... She was with my donor family at the mm -hmm. time at a hospital just 20 miles away mm -hmm. called Mercy West. Mm -hmm. And what I didn't know at the time was that 27 days later, I would meet my mm -hmm. donor family. Right. Surgery went well. I was out of surgical intensive care in less than a day. I was on the transplant floor for four more days. Day six, I was out of the hospital at wow. home recovering. Six weeks later, I was on a plane going to my national sales meeting in Colorado Springs. Amazing. Amazing. I'm like the, the poster child uh, at, at UC Health's transplant program, I think. Yeah. And I just did everything that... I was told to do pharmacists, nutrition support team, social work, psychologists, hepatologists, transplant surgeon teams, the nursing team, um, the blood works, uh, logging your weight, blood pressure, glucose monitor, everything I was told to do, I just did. And I think that's one of the reasons that I recovered so yeah. quickly. I think too, just um, in everything that you've shared, the takeaway that I have is how vigilant you were 
and continue to be with respect to your life, your health, and this gift. As you were just describing kind of your journey and the miracles, you said what, what kept coming back to me is just how much you advocated for yourself, how much your family supported you, how you were able to reach within your support system and, and be able to, you know, you, you didn't, you didn't sit on the sidelines. It's like you, you took charge and you asked questions and you kept pushing. And I think that's a great lesson for listeners is it's so important to be your advocate. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to say, Hey, if there's a cancellation, call me, you know, this is your life that you're talking about. And so I just, I appreciate you sharing that because I think more people need to hear that. And sometimes there's a tendency to you just, some people will kind of stand back and say, well, I'll just let the health professionals handle it. They know what they're doing. That is, <clears throat> that's true. It can also be quite humbling. Mm -hmm. When you're an active, social, take charge kind of guy, like, hey, give me the first opening. Right. But your body and your mind, your mental faculties, yeah. prohibit you from doing things and you have to rely on others. Mm -hmm. In the months leading up to my transplant, every Friday I would have to go to my hepatologist's office and I would have fluid uh, drained anywhere from, at that point, four to seven liters a week Mm -hmm. was drained. So, boy, I'll tell you, on Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, I'm feeling wonderful, right? Just like a dialysis patient feels when they uh, go through their treatment. But then slowly, the liver starts putting more of that fluid back into your body. And by Wednesday and Thursday, you're miserable. Mm -hmm. And you can't lift anything. And it's tough to sit on the toilet. And you can't drive. You're and, just dragging. You, know, you, you just, you know, why can't I do what I used to do kind of Right, thing. right. And um, I remember when I was in the hospital emergency room and uh, one of the, the well, that's <laughs> getting a little too personal with the whole things like that. But when your 30-year-old son wipes your butt um, in the ER. <laughs> you're, you're humbled. He, that's, that's humbling. Yeah. No, that's um, true. And uh, it was important not only to, to be my own healthcare advocate, Mm -hmm. but also to reach out and advocate donation. Mm -hmm. And I so desperately wanted to have a relationship yeah. with my donor family. Mm -hmm. And we went through that process with the help of Life Center. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned earlier, 27 days post-transplant, I met my donor family yes. right on the floor of your office. It's been remodeled now, but we... Um, yeah, my, my family met my donor family, yeah. um, and we hit it off instantly. Am I allowed to talk about my donor family? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and Okay. Um, I found out that day that my donor, uh, his name was Cleet. He was a 41-year-old son, brother, husband, father, coach, hard worker, mm -hmm. neighbor, loved by so many people, unfortunately, uh, asphyxiated uh, after a choking incident mm -hmm. um, at dinner. And he was home with his wife, Carrie, and their three children. And uh, Carrie was in the other room when he choked and uh, was getting angry a little bit, as the story goes, because he wasn't answering her questions when she was in there dealing with the kids. So she found him in the kitchen and immediately tried, you know, to perform the Heimlich maneuver, called 911. First responders from mm -hmm. Green Township were there in minutes. They couldn't uh, dislodge. So he was taken immediately to Mercy West Hospital and surgery was performed, but he had been oxygen deprived for about 35, 36 minutes, as I was told, um, and was immediately put on life support. Mm -hmm. And at that point, because of the 
the work that the nurses at Life Center do in educating the nurses at healthcare facilities around the tri-state area, educating them about organ donation, tissue and eye donation. The nurses there contacted Life Center and said, we have uh, an opportunity. I believe that's how the process worked. That's how Missy got involved. And that's how initially the decision was made to donate Cleek's organ. He uh, was was a registered organ donor. They did not know that. Um, But because Cleek decided to make a decision, he chose to make a choice to be a registered organ donor so that two people didn't have to die. Yes. They honored his wishes. I got his liver. And I have just discovered from Carrie, my donor widow, that a woman in Seattle, a Washington area, a single mom, uh, received one of his kidneys. Wow. Uh, and they have a relationship with the gentleman in New York that received his other kidney, and they were able to meet with him. Oh, my goodness. Uh, just a few weeks ago this summer on a little summer vacation. Oh. I say we, that's my donor, donor's wife, Carrie, but mm-hmm. also my donor mom, Gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I received Cleet's liver on Gay's birthday, June 22nd. Wow. Um, my and one of my favorite, I, I have lunch with Gay occasionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a few weeks ago, was having lunch with her and she reminded me again, you know, that the liver that's inside of me mm-hmm. was once inside of her son and once inside of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, how whacked is that? I mean, mm-hmm. wow. Wow. What a statement. But uh, to have a relationship like ours, I think is very rare. Yes. In our support group, and we're on Facebook and we text and we haven't had any meetings since COVID, but we do have support meetings via Zoom online. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the ambassadors, um, I'm an ambassador with Life Center and we have our, our group uh, discussions and our hangouts, we call them, our super ambassador hangouts. Mm-hmm. Um, many are not as fortunate to have a relationship with their donor family it is such a personal decision mm-hmm. on both sides. Mm-hmm. I was just in a discussion last week with some of our uh, fellow organ recipients who every time they, they, they try to pick up a pen and put it to paper, they, 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 can't, they just, they can't, it, they can't do it. They want to so badly. Right. But it, they fail every time they try to write that letter. Yeah. But then you have on the other side, the donor families that is so personal for them too. Do they want to reach out? Or maybe every time they try, they just can't do it. In my case, Carrie, while they were wheeling Cleet on his honor walk, Mm -hmm. and you know the picture I'm talking about. Yes. Pulitzer Prize material, I think, in my in my opinion, it is breathtaking. It millions really is. of views and has literally started a program across the country and hospitals that are mimicking mm-hmm. what what happened with Cleet and his honor walk. And Carrie said, I would like to meet the individual that gets Cleet's liver. Mm-hmm. Why that? Why not Cleet's kidneys? Why not his tissue? Why mm-hmm. why the liver? Right. That's very interesting. And um, so she wrote a letter to Life Center. I wrote a letter to Life Center. And there's very specific instructions. You can't use, you can use a first name, but you can't use a last name. You can't say what city that you live in. And if you do, Life Center is going to redact it anyway and put big black marks over it. And (laughs) typically there's a grieving period. Yes. And uh, they wait that grieving period. But in... My personal case, they received my letter and they received Carrie's letter and they said, wow, both families want to meet. 
So that's how it, it took place less than a month after I was uh, transplanted. And then she presented me with my letter that was redacted. And she said, here's the original letter that I was sent, <laughs> that I sent in. So I got a nice photo album and the letter that she wrote. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still so very hard for Carrie and um, her parents, Cleet's step parents and their children. Um, yeah. Two boys and a girl, little Sammy, uh, is Down syndrome, uh, special needs. And I think they miss their daddy so much. Yeah. And she is trying so hard yeah. to move forward and build a life for them without her husband or their father. Yeah. Um, but knowing, and they tell me this frequently, and it's, it's still survivor's guilt, yeah. I'm told. Yeah. You know, the bittersweet thing that I'm alive, but Cleet's no longer here. Right. It does help the grieving process on both sides. But they see that through Cleet's organ donation, others are alive. Cleet yeah. does live on. Yes. And that is very important to them. Mm -hmm. um, and because I know that and they tell me that, it helps me in the process moving forward, having a relationship mostly by Facebook and texts right. and the occasional meeting with a mask right now since COVID is here. But it helps both sides when you have the gift of life that is shared among the donor family and the recipient family. Yes, yes. My Facebook family grew by over 300 people within a, a, a month of us, us meeting. Wow, wow. Yes. They have a very large extended family on the west side over there. <laughs> it's such it's it's such a it's a it's a beautiful story. It's a sad story, but one that happens more often than we think. Um, the the one thing though with your story, as you said, it is it's so unique. Uh, what happened? I think that's yet another miracle that we can count. Uh, in your journey in that you were able to connect with Cletus's family and form this bond and do so, so quickly. And I can only imagine that that has to bring a sense of peace to his family just to, to watch you. And, and I mean, cause you truly are honoring the gift um, and you're, you just, you're very intentional about it. You're very service minded you're very service-minded individual and you know, you're you're living you're living a full life you really are yes because somebody made the decision that two people would not have to die and right. when you're six weeks away from dancing with death things go through your mind and you you see life in a completely different mindset. Yeah. I, I have told you and others before that I am very impatient yeah. when people just don't understand the value mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of life. Yeah. We've got a lot of BS going on in the world right now. Right. Wars, riots. Yes killings every day and I get so angry yes yes when I see anyone disrespecting life God forbid taking the life of another yes the lack of value that others put on life I wonder if they were in that surgical suite on the early morning hours of June 22nd, 2018, I wonder if they would feel the same way they do right now. Right. That gives you, it, gives you a hell of a perspective, you know, to go through that. Yes. I always, I always had great respect for life. 
I think my my <laughs> record speaks for itself through from the time I was very little. But boy, does it it change. And I yeah. I don't want to, you know, be a preacher. Um, but it is my responsibility to to be an advocate mm-hmm. for organ donation to tirelessly passionately tell the story of organ donation yes eye and tissue donation and every day before i fall asleep i ask myself would cleat would carry would their children mm-hmm. would their family would cleat's father be proud mm-hmm. yes of what I did today. It's it's like a burden. But it's 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 such an important perspective to ensure that whatever time I have left in my excuse me <clears throat> whatever time I have left in my new life that I I I demonstrate the gratitude that I have for receiving this precious gift, this thing called life. Mm -hmm. And I want others to appreciate that I have been given a second opportunity. And as a result, I do have things to say about it. Yes. Well, I am... 100% 100% sure we have captured everything in this. Um, <laughs> I could go on for hours, and I know. <laughs> I know. Tirelessly I, and passionately. My story is just, like, who could have ever thought? I know. I think this was great, though, talking just more about the, the pre-transplant part. I think you went more in depth this time. And I I really like, I just, I really like, like I said before, what you were saying about just, you know, you, you just pushed, you pushed. And a lot of people, they feel intimidated by going through something like this and the tendency is not to. And so I hope people listen to that and just take something from that. I think that that that's going to help a lot of people, you know, dealing with whatever healthcare issue they have going on. Oh, this is kind of a shameless plug to the University of Cincinnati. Go ahead. <laughs> they're they're one of three hospitals in Cincinnati. Yes. Um, that conduct organ transplantation, children's, and Christ is the other one. Correct. With UC, and UC Health's motto is, "In science lives hope." Sorry. Being the sales manager that I am. Yeah. There's there is a common book that sales managers read called hope is not a strategy in sales. You don't, you don't hope you're going to get the signed contract. Right. You have to earn it. You have to put a plan in place, but at UC health in science lives hope. If I can close by saying when you are facing the need for an organ transplant, or you are a family that is losing a loved one, or you're going to be a living donor, hope is powerful medicine. It changes attitudes. It changes care plans. It empowers sick individuals to to push harder, to not accept defeat or what, you know, just what you're told to, to learn more. Hope, just like my anesthesiologist, Dr. Hope, hope is a strategy, but hope doesn't get people to become registered organ donors. And that's another part of my, my commitment to Donate Life, to Life Center, to UNOS, and that is to consistently push people to become a registered organ donor. You can do it online. You can do it at the BMV. You can do it at a county fair where we have a booth. Yeah. Make a decision. 
choose to make a choice to become a registered organ donor. And I hope if at the end of this podcast, one person goes to the BMV or goes online and registers to become an organ and tissue donor, then the hour that you and I have spent together would be hugely successful. Absolutely worth it. Well, John, thank you so much for being here and 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 sharing your story with us. You're welcome, Andy. It's been great. And remember, anyone can be a registered organ donor. You might think you're too sick. You might think you're too young. You might think you're too old. Register. And when you are unable to speak for yourselves, let the clinicians, the physicians, Life Center Intervention speak on your behalf. It's a lot easier if you sign up to become a registered organ donor and give someone like me hope. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Andy. All right. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Life Center. You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By designating your decision to become a donor, you have the opportunity to change the lives of many and save up to eight lives. Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana say yes to donation by registering to become an organ, eye, or tissue donor today. Go to lifepassiton.org for more information. Thanks to LifeSetter for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow. 